Whatever you say, say nothing. Hello, listeners. Welcome to A Writer's World. This is Sean Griffin, a poet and writer who hopes to share some part of that world with you here on KWNK. It's a big subject, and we'll see where it leads. Today's program is entitled, When Reading is Outlawed. Late in July, a man was held in cuffs with a black hood over his face. He was being charged with sedition, one of five speech therapists in Hong Kong who published a children's book about sheep being attacked by wolves. Evidently, it was crime enough. The Chinese government viewed this action as a political threat. Then, not a month later, similar political turmoil arose in Afghanistan when the U.S. pulled out of the country. This time, the sheep were women and children. When Seamus Heaney wrote the words with which I began today's program, he was referring to the Troubles, that very dark time in Northern Ireland when Protestants and Catholics were fighting for political and religious sovereignty. His words derived from the way in which he and his countrymen had to live, in disguise, in roundabout ways, in code. The poem does not choose sides. It indicts both sectarian tribes. But the tribe of reading, the tribe of learning, the tribe of language as freedom has gone into hiding. I worry that many women and children will be forced to stop reading, at least publicly, now that literature has become a volatile word. I remember Greg Mortensen, the former mountain climber who started a foundation to build over a hundred schools in Afghanistan. While his truthfulness has tarnished with time, his point was quite simple. Imagine if young people could attend school, study freely, and travel to all corners of the globe with books. Imagine what a young woman in the mountains of Afghanistan could become. Imagine a future where reading was part of their daily regimen, stronger than the will to banish it. It is hard for us in this country to see things like reading or books as anything but ordinary. We have a plethora of access to almost any media without end. But this is precisely why it is also hard to imagine how such intentional censure of a children's book on sheep and wolves is possible. After all, many children in this country grew up reading stories like Little Red Riding Hood, a, sto a story of guile and deceit that helped teach young readers to pay attention when the wolf came, not as government spy, but as a real danger. This is what books do. They open the door to an imaginary kingdom where wolves and little girls coexist, at least until the story's in. So too with hundreds of books and stories that are consumed in school. They are metaphors, lessons about things that young people may or may not have words for, but understand. They live outside of reality, if only for the duration of the tale, and transport young readers to some other shore. It could be a place they do not know, and it could be familiar like home. Words, then, are not just what fill books. They are passports to another kingdom. They do not care what you say, and they do not implore you to say nothing. There is no checkpoint to read them. Unless, of course, there is. One which we in the West can only infer through the hazed images of television and cell phones the hazed rubble of a capital city, an abandoned airbase, a library, a school, a child. I have often thought 
of what a country life like Afghanistan might look like with another kind of airlift. If, rather than bombs, books were dropped on the countryside, books in Pashto and Dari, books that did not need translators, books that needed only hands, and maybe an airlift of pencils or crayons and perhaps small cardboard boxes to put the books in, and stools to sit on, and magical lamps lit by the sun. The countryside would fill with radio signals directing people to the boxes, with the only requirement of entry being all weapons left outside. Then the boxes could exist in relative calm and could for some offer a haven, a refuge, a place to turn when food ran low or water stopped or power went off. Maybe some of the children could build staircases to other boxes where the special boxes lived. Of course, they were special because only some children could read them. They had big words, words that looked long and rangy. Sometimes they wouldn't fit in a mouth, and so whole syllables had to be swallowed. Can you imagine a box filled with such marvelous sounds? Sounds that lived in your ears like a symphony? Sounds of toucans and elephants and camels, because why not? Where else would they be if not in the airlift floating high above Afghanistan? This would, of course, require another safe passage for the person who dreamt such stories and put them into words, and the papermakers would have to come too, and the binders, the stitchers, and the artists who drew the most magnificent images on the covers, and inside where all eyes disappear. Oh, it would take some doing to build a colony where the boxes lived, and the children could come and go as they pleased. The boxes would be labeled, you know. They would have bright signs that illumined what was inside. They would be colored red and blue and yellow and hornet black and yellow. They would be filled with color on all sides and the signs would say welcome in Pashto and Dari. And the children would be excited for the unveiling of the boxes because no one had ever seen such a thing. Therefore, it didn't exist until the airlift. One day when enough boxes fell, the first book got out and into the hands of a child. The child, being wise and welcomed to new things like books, took the book home to a box near his house. Inside, the book stood like a castle, and the child wondered what it took to have lots of castles. He went back to the box in the country, and the box had filled with still more books. The airlift, it seems, had gone on. Something curious happened. Just about the time the boxes were bulging with books, the weapons outside began to disappear. No one knows why. They have conjured ideas. Maybe another country took them. Maybe they lived for a while and died. Maybe they were given a proper burial. Maybe they weren't needed and became tricycles or treadmills or window panes. Maybe they just stopped being used. Like the dinosaurs, an entire myth grew up around the disappearance of the weapons. Whole boxes were filled with the stories of their retreat. A history of living without weapons slowly filled the boxes until that ancient time no longer existed and the boxes, because they were smart boxes, put that history on permanent recall. Suddenly the need for weapons also disappeared and the boxes of their history became known as the time when things changed. There were people speaking on street corners about the evolution of the boxes. From that first day, thousands of boxes dropped out of the sky to their presence all across the land as keeper of the stories. Stories that could not be owned, only shared. 
stories that accumulated over long swaths of time, and some boxes had staircases to the farthest reaches, which, as you know, had big stories with words that let you travel almost anywhere. And because the weapons were gone, there were plenty of tricycles and tricycle repairmen, so the children could ride far and wide to look inside those beautiful, illumined boxes. They were like tiny movie theaters all over the country, and the children were passing one another on their jaunts to the next one and the next one. And some days they got off their tricycles and laid down in the high grass and read from the book in their hands, and knew then why they needed the words. They had no story without them. When they finished, they collected extra special cookies for the authors and the artists and the stitchers and the binders who made the books. And they held the cookies close until they could give them to all the people who made the boxes bulge with books. Suddenly, the airlift was enough to feed hundreds of thousands of hungry minds. And they promised, like children do, to never tell anyone about their secret. Thank you, dear listener, for permitting me to dream of a day when women and children no longer fear the dramatic act of picking up a book to read. This fable is not as far-fetched as it sounds. Whole communities have learned to embrace books when they were made available in their spoken language. Sometimes the act of reading requires faith in others, something that will take time to rebuild in Afghanistan, much as, is it, much as it has taken faith in others to read in so many parts of this globe. But it can be done, one community, one child at a time. This concludes our program on When Reading is Outlawed. Please join us in the Collective Ethersphere on the first and third Sundays at 5 p.m. for our next Meditation on Words or stream it at kwnkradio.org. And please support your local independent bookstore. In Reno, that's Sundance Books and Music, and in Las Vegas, that's the Writer's Block. They're open, and we need them. Thank you, be safe, and spread a little kindness wherever you are. <laughs>